In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. Jason Cutter, CEO of Cutter Consulting Group, is a sales success architect. From training to scripting to sales tech, he helps small businesses create scalable inside sales teams. His newest program is called Authentic Persuasion with the goal of helping salespeople go from order taker to quota breaker. And welcome to the People Catalyst podcast, Jason Cutter. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited for uh, what we're going to talk about. Myself as well. We are both very passionate about people and about relationships in sales. And uh, I know that's a big passion of yours as well, Jason, including yeah. animals and marine biology. So we'll get into that a little bit later. So, but Jason, I always like to start out uh, just, you know, explaining your story. Like, how did you get uh, you, uh, from where you thought you were going to be to where you, you are here in the entrepreneurial world? And I'll end in the shortest time possible. So it's not a, uh, you know, hour long episode. Um, you know, my path was really, really windy. And, you know, the, the punchline is right now I'm a sales consultant, trainer, coach. I have a podcast, you know, just to, that's where I'm at now in my life. Um, but as you mentioned with animals, my bachelor's degree is in marine biology. I thought I wanted to go into that. I was very curious as a kid. I was also a shy, awkward, only child. Um, and a late bloomer. So oh, I wasn't yeah, I really would into never, people. I would yeah, never I guess that. That is really interesting. And, 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 and it's, it's interesting because I mentioned it, which we'll talk about later as we get into more sales stuff. But I think it's important for people who maybe didn't feel like they're born to be in sales or born to be dealing with people, um, but now they are and to understand, hey, this is something I can do. But we'll talk about that later. But yeah, so I was like super, super awkward, super shy, um, uh, only child. And then um, I was like, okay, let me, uh, you know, get in. I really got into fish and sharks. So I went to school, got my degree in marine biology. Uh, while I was there in Santa Cruz, I tagged sharks for about four years uh, with a with a group and um, couldn't that get a job like in marine tagging, biology. Like, like, yeah. like putting yeah. the little de detector, like GPS tracking thing on it. That, that is it. Everything, <laughs> everything from, you know, two to three foot sharks in the slough, which was part of my senior project, uh, where we would catch them by hand and then, you know, put little tags and measure them and weigh them to 18 foot great white sharks where you're putting radio tags uh, in their back so you can track their movement around, you know, the, the Santa Cruz area. Well, that's a first, Jason, <laughs> on the yeah. podcast, <laughs> a shark tagger. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was just super happy because when I started with them, they upgraded boats. So they had a 21 foot boat um, tagging 18 foot great white sharks uh, versus the year before they had 16 foot boat. So uh, at least so the shark was bigger better. than your boat. Uh, in the previous years. Yeah. And uh, those sharks are big ones. So anyway, so I couldn't get a job in marine biology um, because basically you needed a master's degree and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't clear on where I wanted to go with life. Um, ended up moving to Seattle, got a job at tech, uh, Microsoft doing tech support for a couple of years when that was actually still a thing in the world. And um, Realized I didn't want to do that either by the second year. Um, they moved all our jobs to China and India, which was the beginning of outsourcing and offshoring mm -hmm. like that now everyone just is used to and assumes. But in 
that day and age, it wasn't a thing. Um, and then from there, I was still a, a floating leaf, kind of lost without direction in the world. And a family friend suggested I get into the mortgage business, which is, was my first, I'll, I'll say it, air quote, sales job. Mm-hmm. It didn't take much sales because at the time, the housing boom, everyone was just wanting to buy and refinance. And it was just great. You didn't have to have any sales skills. No, yet I still screwed up a bunch line. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it stood in line. And they were just, you know, I, some stuff I know we're going to talk about on the show today, you know, that we talked about, I actually learned them because it was actually so crazy that you had to kind of control people who wanted to get a loan. Um, you had to, you know, kind of keep them in line. Um, but it was, it was interesting because I still screwed up a lot of stuff, even though it wasn't hard. It didn't take any sales, things that I still use to today. Um, so that was my first sales-ish job. Did that for a couple of years. Then I went into helping people in foreclosure, you know, avoid losing their homes. Um, that's when you really get into sales because while you'd think somebody would want help, um, you know, most people just want to put their head in the sand. So that's where I really learned how to sell and persuade and help people and really, really come to a connection with wanting to help people and shifting from solving problems with sharks to solving problems with people and embracing people because I, I didn't want to deal with people for the I longest would, time. I don't know which one I pick. Sharks, <laughs> sharks all day, all day, every day. I, I would pick sharks uh, if I had a choice. And, 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 the, and everyone obviously is afraid of sharks and, and people don't like sharks, but you know, sharks are very predictable. They have one direction. They have one mode. They have one purpose in life. Uh, and as long as you understand that and you stay away from the business end, um, you know, sharks are pretty easy to deal with. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, people we are have, messy. <laughs> yes, we are. I always say, you know what? I should have gotten a psychology degree and everybody goes to get a business. I feel degree. like I have a minor or a, you know, some kind of honorary psychology degree at this point. <laughs> Exactly. So, well, share with us a little bit. And by the way, we, I didn't realize we had such a similar background, Jason, because my, my, I got my broker's license at 20. I was in residential finance, business, commercial finance, and morphed into a consulting firm in 2008. Wow. So, you know, maybe that's why we just, you know, are like your brother, yeah. my brother from another mother. So, <laughs> So share with us a little bit about that shift of I of the I agree with you there were people that you actually had to control the aspect of them wanting to borrow too much or yeah. the uh, I need to get in here like yesterday or there was this frenzy piece that was happening that was more like calm down take it easy instead of like trying to influence persuade like you were talking about and support um, and then that shifted share a little bit about what you learned during that you know, shifting period, because it was interesting for us. We shifted into a consulting firm because we knew the clients needed it. Not that they, not that they knew that they needed it, but they wanted to run away from their problems. So that's an interesting point. Could you share a little bit with us about that? Yeah, for me, and there's a lot of people who will do a job and it's totally fulfilling and they love it. For me, mortgage loan officer was not that. Mm-hmm. Helping people buy homes, get into debt, make these kind of, you know, purchasing decisions. Nothing wrong with it. Just for me, it didn't click. Like it wasn't something where I woke up every day and I'm like, this is exciting and I want to do it. I still have some friends who are still in that business and they love it and, and it's a perfect fit for them. For me, it just didn't feel right. And I just, mm-hmm. it, it was the weirdest thing. I left it in 2004. I mean, if we think of the mortgage meltdown in 2007, like it's still at its peak and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I, I I, I, this game isn't for me. I don't mm-hmm. want to play this game. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw this need where people who 
there are people looking to buy houses. So they on the investor side. And then there were people who were in foreclosure. And mm-hmm. at the time there were, you know, were from 30 to 40 new foreclosure filings a day wow. in the Seattle area in 2004 when it hadn't melted down yet. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a partner of mine shifted and went into that and then, you know, took a, took a different approach and it, it felt different because it was, you know, helping someone avoid something bad that was going to happen to them and then get them out of that situation while at the same time helping, let's say an investor or somebody who's looking to buy property, help them, you know, link up with that too. And, and being that, you know, use, use your word, a catalyst and mm-hmm. a facilitator in the middle. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. So share with us what in that space, when you, then you moved into helping, right? With short sales and, yep. and uh, attracting those. And they, I remember these times it was, it was trying. Um, and it was actually during a time since so 2009, my husband was diagnosed with esophageal cancer and we were having our own issues, but I'll tell yeah. you, Everybody was, it, it was, it, and it put it in perspective for me because I think we were able to help because it was like, well, our problems are kind of like pretty, really bad. Like we don't care about money and, and things at this point because it's kind of been stripped of it. But you learn so much in that challenging time, way more than you learn in the easy, good time. So what shifted that for you where you, that light bulb went off where the finance piece wasn't even though you could be you could see that as helping people but then for you personally you know helping them with their short sales and and help when they wanted to put their head in the sand and you know getting them to change their mindset and i think we could talk a little bit about mindset both on the sales and your customer side right and helping them shift their mindset but what was that ting that light bulb that went off for you that you said okay this one's for me um, you know, it, it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't in advance. Like, okay, I can feel it. My purpose, my mission is to help people, right? Like even at my age right now, I'm still working on that. I have what I feel is my vision and my mission, you know, that I've been cultivating and I know it shifts. It has shifted in the past. So it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't like, Hey, here's what I'm gonna do. It was, here's an opportunity. Here's something. Let me try this. Let me go after it. And then in the process of doing some of those transactions and helping some people in ways that, you know, were significantly impacting, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we failed or if they didn't do something, the sheriff was going to be at their door Friday Mm -hmm. afternoon Mm -hmm. um, telling them to move all their stuff out. Right. So that's, that's definitely, you know, more impactful than, Hey, why didn't my refinance go through? And this is terrible. And oh Oh my my gosh, my carpet isn't what I expected. And my washing machine doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, like the like real impactful. I won't say life and death versus the the illusion of that when you're but in a honestly, sales career, many times if they've got you know they've their credit's been tarnished and you can't figure it out. I mean, they yeah. are looking at a really rough time with their family, yeah. um, and so well, and I I love that because you know you can see both sides, and I think you can even talk yourself into what truly helping somebody is versus saying, well, what do they really need? Because I remember back then that there were many people that wanted to do loans that they should have never had. And, and yeah. I was like, no, I'm, they're still going to go find the money somewhere. Right. And you're just like, I did, I really failed in helping that person trying to talk them out of, you know, doing one of those subprime loans that you, we knew that the peak was coming, but sometimes you just can't help people from, you know, human nature that they want it and they want it versus the yeah. avoidance of pain 
Um, yeah. And so, and I think the avoidance of pain, and we always say uh, here at the People Catalyst that, you know, unfortunately, people will pay more for an aspirin than they will a vitamin. And for sure. And so you have to speak to the aspirin, but I think keeping in mind the best thing for them is actually a vitamin so they can avoid having to yeah. take an aspirin. So can you share with us a little bit about your thoughts on that, about the, how the avoidance of pain is so impactful in the influence piece, but people don't always know what they, they need or they think they need something that even though they need a whole slew of things before they even get to that. Okay, so this is where you and I, the Carla Jason show goes into our part time <laughs> unofficial. Please don't take this as any kind of diagnosis or actual medical advice. Uh, our part time <laughs> psychology psychosis analysis portion. Yes, uh, both of, of us show. do not have a doctorate, but <laughs> yes, we do not have a doctorate, which I've never made that disclaimer before, but it felt appropriate here. Uh, I am uh, a guy with a bachelor's degree in marine biology, though. So keep that in mind. Um, you know, I think the thing is, is that um, there's a part of our brain that everybody has. Some people control it better. Some people, it's more powerful than others. There's a part of our brain that is the animal primal lizard part. You could call it what you want. Uh, I won't get into the technical details, but there's a part of our brain that Isn't still that the reptilian thinks brain? The reptilian brain, people call it different things if they want to yep. soften it. They call it the lizard brain and then yeah. people get triggered and offended. So use whatever term you want to be as offended or not offended as you'd like. But we all have this part of our brain and it thinks it's still on the savanna or in a cave thousands and thousands of years ago mm -hmm. fighting for survival and worried about everything. It's the part of our brain that if you imagine five, 10,000 years ago, you're on the savanna, you're living in your little, you know, your little makeshift shelter. And what would be more important to you? Imagining you're seeing five tigers throughout the day around every corner and jumping and worrying and always being on high alert, but being wrong or not caring and not paying attention and missing the one tiger that is real and getting killed. Right. Mm -hmm. And so our brain is always in that mode. It still thinks it's in that, like, it's still worried that if I eat that berry, it's the wrong berry, I'm going to get poisoned and I'm going to get sick and die. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you broke your leg 5,000 years ago, there was no doctor. Like you could get an infection, your tribe will leave you behind. You're going to die under a bush. And then like, that's it. So mm -hmm. our brain wants to keep us safe in our comfort zone. And so danger is bad. So it will always default for most people to avoiding pain and danger because that we want to stay in our comfort zone. But what it doesn't do for most people is go for gain, which is, hey, on the other side of my comfort zone is amazing stuff. If I'm in this cave now, maybe there's a better cave or a better hunting ground. But the risk is, what if there's not? And then I die because I made the wrong choice. So I'll just make mm -hmm. no choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And how do you, when you're working in the sales either, and you can answer this from a training and consulting side, or even you being on a sales call, how do you, how are you aware of that? And then, uh, you know, influence, of course, you know, they say influence manipulation, it's two sides of the same coin and it's a very thin coin. And it's one of the reasons why sales, one of the most incredible professions, because if we don't sell things, our economy just dies, uh, but then gets a bad rap because of that, right? And, and understanding it is critical. And then also having their best interests at heart. So it's influence, not manipulation. How do you balance those two? Understanding that many times people are in avoidance of pain and 
don't want to go out there and make the wrong decisions. So they sit in limbo. How do you balance that when you're teaching, training, or on a call? So the first thing is you got to always understand that part of that brain that you have that keeps you limited. Your prospects have it. Everybody has it. We're all human. Again, some people are better at it and some are not. Um, The fundamental hardest challenge of sales is embracing, understanding, and then overcoming your prospects fear of change. That's it. Like there's one fear. It's not a fear of spiders. It's not a fear of sharks. It's not a fear of anything else. It's a fear of change when it comes to your selling interaction because change equals risk, risk equals death. And so the brain wants to keep us from you know, making changes. That's why you see some people, they eat at the same restaurant, they go to the same place on vacation, they stay in the same kind of hotel, they literally mm. don't like change, right? <laughs> and then there's people who don't care. There's people who, and this is fascinating, there's people who have no fear of change, they have no fear of certain things, but then they're totally uh, afraid of other things. Like I talked to a guy on a podcast recently and he's like, I have no fear of public speaking. I have no fear of this and that. I'm like, well, what about heights? He's like, no, 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 I can't do heights. Like, I, So people have like these bubbles of, like confidence and then these bubbles mm-hmm. of fear and your prospects fear change. Everyone fears change. Your employees, your team, people, uh, again, fear, you know, change equals danger, which equals death um, is what that part of our brain is saying. So your goal in any sales interaction is to help your prospect feel safe, to feel that the change that you want to help facilitate is safe. It's okay. Okay, right? It'll be okay. If we mm-hmm. if we if we go try out this new restaurant, it'll be okay. Like I promise. Like we'll get through this together. That's what you want to create for them. And you do that by building some rapport, showing them empathy, building some level of trust, and then being a professional who's going to take them on that journey arm in arm and then make it safe. And and the reason I say all this, you think, well, no, people aren't afraid of change. Some people don't care. You're right. If those people didn't care about change and weren't afraid, they would have ordered it online or they would have called you up and said, here's my money. I just want to buy this. And you're now an order taker. But if you have to persuade somebody, it's because you've got to help them overcome their fear of change. Mm -hmm. I love that. And what are some of the uh, strategies that you use, Jason, or questions or, you know, different, maybe listening for responses where you're feeling like you're having that? Because there is a flow, a sales flow. It's an art and a science. So you have to get over some pieces of the obstacle, but at the same time, you do have to get to that point where it's, does it make sense for us to continue or does it not, right? Like there yeah. is a part where there's a end of the road. What are some of the strategies that you use through the, the sales process? And then when you get to that end of the road, time to make a choice. So working backwards, the one thing that you must know as a salesperson, again, whether it's, you know, you're a coach and you're selling somebody to hire you as a coach or you're selling knives door to door, doesn't matter. Like to me, sales is sales. So it doesn't matter. But the one question you have to be able to answer is why do they want or need what I have to sell? Right. Once you determine if it's a good fit, like if it's, you know, you pre-qualified them enough, why Mm -hmm. do they need it for their reasons? Not why do I think they need it? Not why Mm -hmm. do I tell all my customers why they need it? Not why I think my company is so amazing and the best and we have so many good ratings and reviews. No, (laughs) why do they need this? 
What does it do for them for their reasons? Once you know the answer to that, then the rest of it's easy because now we're tying in the solution, the pricing, the next steps, the expectations, all the rest of that is easy because you're like, okay, well, you said you need to get here. I know how to get you here any questions, right? Like that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, now to get to that point is tough because it takes building up enough of a relationship and then asking enough questions, whichever way the conversation goes. Like I don't teach people to say, okay, ask this question, then ask this question. It's more of like, here's the framework of the questions. And mm-hmm. then also using active listening to have a conversation. Remember, like this is what a lot of people forget. It's it's not a like me selling to you. It's two humans having a conversation and I want to see how I can help you. If I can, I'm going to mm-hmm. let you know. If I can't, I'll let you know. But it's asking question of, questions enough to go deep enough to answer that question of why do they want it, which sometimes you'll know in the first two minutes. Sometimes it may take, you know, five phone calls to uncover why they really need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless you answer that question, you're just hoping. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's a discovery. And I think it's interesting based off of how people, you know, there's three different ways people learn new information. And they're a thinker, a feeler, or a knower. And um, understanding when you listen for someone to respond, some people, there's never enough information before they can get to a new information. A, a new idea. Some people, they love stories. That's why people use case studies and, and those types of things um, when in doubt. And then some people just know they get on the phone. Hey, I have this problem. Uh, somebody referred me to you and they said you could fix it. So yeah. it's interesting. I love that, that people forget sometimes it's a two-way conversation focused on them. And yeah. then also if you can solve their problem. So in that, and I love how you said that sometimes it might take five calls too, because I think that sometimes it's pressed too quickly to make a decision too quickly when some people are actually verbally aware, like they talk through it and then they go, oh, I got it. Like they don't necessarily know. They might say, I've got a revenue problem, right? Right. But where is that? Is it your pricing? Is it you're promoting the wrong product? Is it, is it a sales issue? Is it a, you know, is it how many um, you know, contacts that you're making, or is it your conversion ratio? Or is it, it's like, is it your activity? Like, what is that thing? And I think that's, a, how do you get that from, um, you know, when you're selling so that you don't feel like they're putting them under a microscope and of course not judging them because, you know, I always say when people have a problem, I'm like, congratulations, welcome to the club. You know what I mean? It's like, you're normal. Um, but how do you get to that point where they're opening up, but then you're trying to diagnose what they need? Because most of the time in my experience in working with businesses, and this is from startups all the way to, you know, large organizations, is that they, they don't always know. Yeah. And, you know, fundamentally keep in mind, right. And this is true for everybody. If you knew what you were doing incorrectly in order to get to where you wanted to, right. There's no good, bad, right or wrong. It's just about like, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? And if you're not there, why? Um, If people knew why they weren't where they wanted and how to fix it on their own, they wouldn't need other people's help right? Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I just realize like, Hey, the reason I don't have X is because of this, I'll just go get it. Um, then, you know, that's it. So usually when they're interacting with someone who's a salesperson or is, is some kind of service provider or has a product, 
there's a good chance the prospect doesn't even know what the issue is. They, they might even know what the issue is, but they don't know why or how to, mm -hmm. what to do about it. If they knew what to do about it, they would just do it. Right. Yeah. And so that's the first thing to keep in mind. Um, you know, the, the framework that I teach is called authentic persuasion. And the first part is that authenticity part. And I mm -hmm. think that's one of the things that has made me very successful in, in sales in leadership and in interactions in business, um, you know, with other people, uh, even selling up the chain to let's say an owner and, and, you know, getting uh, my way with initiatives or things that I think are important is because I'm just authentic. I'm just me. Like when mm -hmm. I have a conversation with somebody who it's, if I'm in a sales role, like it's just me, I'm having that conversation. I care. I make mistakes. I stumble. I talk about my past. I don't try to hide anything. I'm not trying to present this perfect illusion of the slick talking. I always look Wall for Street that. Sales you know person. That is so critical when yeah. people are you just are attracted to them you're like because you know what 100 all of us are human and and i anytime somebody's talking that big old talk i don't care if yeah. they're a ceo yeah. of a company of you know or a fortune 500 company or they're getting my coffee i just i don't you know we're all in this boat together and we all have something different to contribute uh and we all have value and the, well that's Fantastic. Well, there yeah. is there is something that I learned from Jason in our uh, short time together before uh, this podcast. And you know, let's sign off with this. Uh, you have to share my favorite quote that um, <laughs> I don't want to steal it and steal your thunder. But this, I think, is critical for anyone in sales to listen to this quote and think about it. Anytime you're on a call talking to a prospect and wanting to help and serve them. All right. So here's the quote and the line that I recommend everyone memorize, and then I'll explain what it means is prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. So once again, it's prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. And if we think about the medical profession, right, there's a lot of rules. They have actually, they have their Hippocratic oath. They have codes, they have boards, they have certifications, they have everything that sales doesn't have. And then we can look at the result of how people feel about the medical profession and how they feel about the sales profession. Um, but, you know, a doctor has the standard to live by and you would never, uh, no good doctor without getting sued like crazy would allow you to walk in and say, hey, by the way, I was reading online and I went to WebMD and it says that I have this illness um, here's what I need. And the doctor says, okay, sounds good. Here's the prescription. Good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> right. They wouldn't do that. They would be on the line. Like no medical professional would ever do that. And I know people who try, they try to self diagnose, they become web MDs. Um, and they think they know what's wrong and the doctor doesn't care. It's like, Oh, I'm going to put you through the tests. I'm going to put you through the paces. I'm going to ask you my questions. I'm going to poke and prod you. I'm going to diagnose you and then I'm going to prescribe you. And then we're going to move forward. Sales people don't always do that. When you know, start off a phone call, that prospect is scared and they say, okay, well, what is this going to cost me? The salesperson instantly just starts throwing out numbers, right? Like, oh, here's what the fee is and blah, blah, blah. And they go into this, this long tangent. Instead of being a professional, which is, I don't know. That's what I tell people all the time when they ask me, what's the fee? I don't know. What's this going to cost me? I don't know. What's the agreement? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know because I haven't figured out if I can help you and what your situation is and, and then which program makes the most sense for you. So it would be, you know, prescription before diagnosis and that would be sales malpractice. And I'm mm -hmm. just not going to do that. And I used to, I use that in the beginning when I was in the mortgage business. People's like, what's your rate? I don't know. Like, what's your credit score? 
What's your debt to income? Like, what's all these factors? Well, I just want to know the rate. Well, good luck with that because I'm not going to give it to you. Because if I give it to you and it's wrong, you're going to hate me next week when it turns out I was wrong and I just bait and switched you and I tried to get you in the door, which is what bad salespeople do. And instead, what I teach people is, you know, prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. Don't try to prescribe the solution to somebody until you've diagnosed enough to know if that's the right solution. Mm, I love that. Oh my goodness. I, I don't know. See, that could, that's a great answer. for. I say that one person. all the time. I don't know. And <laughs> yeah. it drives, it drives people crazy, but then it's also, and this is what I teach a lot of people to do, do the exact opposite of that salesperson you don't want to be like, or that you don't like working with or talking to do the opposite. Cause the yes. sales, slick salesperson always has an answer, always has a comeback line, always has a something. I, I don't know, I, but yeah. it's true, right? And I'm not just being an ass. Like, yeah. it's honestly true. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what you what know could what? it be? It, it, I don't know. And there you go. Blue Ocean Strategies. If you haven't read the book, go read it. Because just by being different, you, uh, um, I think it's 66% uh, more revenue uh, when you can do something different. Don't, don't be afraid yeah. to stand out. So Jason, yeah. how can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, the easiest and best, simplest way is go to jasoncutter.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-C-U-T-T-E-R.com. Um, it's a hub right now for where to find me. So the consulting website, my authentic persuasion site, the book uh, that's coming out soon, as well as finding me on LinkedIn, social media, very active on LinkedIn. So I have a lot of content there as well. Fantastic. Jason, sure appreciate you being on the show. This is fantastic. All right. Thanks for having me, Carla. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.